0: Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's Founding Fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Yes, indeed. Welcome back to the podcast. It is great to have you here. We're going to have a lot of fun today continuing our talk on the Intolerable Acts of 1774. And when I say we're going to have a lot of fun today, I I think this material is fascinating to learn. I really do. Because if if you look at the country today, you must surely wonder how it is that we got here. And is this country what was intended? Is our constitution what was intended by the people who preceded the Revolutionary War, the people who fought the Revolutionary War, and the people who came immediately after. And there's a lot of overlap there. Obviously, there were people heavily involved in the colonies before, during, and after. Namely, John Adams, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, etc. These guys were heavily involved all throughout. But what were their intentions? What did they want to do? How How did they think this country should be formed? How should the lives in this country be lived every day? These are all very good questions, and, you know, we're trying to answer, roughly, basically the question of, where do we come from? Why are we here? How did this whole thing get started in the first place? And in that regard, it's very important that you share this podcast with anybody who you think might benefit from this knowledge. The education system being what it is, we've talked about this before. If not on this podcast, then on my other podcast available over on Patreon, we've talked about the incomplete education that we all get on the founding especially around this time period there really isn't much talked about around this time period and frankly speaking how much time in high school or even college did we spend studying the actual letters the words the intentions the passions the feelings the thoughts of the founding fathers as written down on the pages of history i can hear crickets out there and the answer is we didn't spend any time talking about that, for the most part. I mean, there, there's there's a few exceptions here and there. Every once in a while, you know, a letter that somebody wrote might have popped up. And every once in a while, of course, you know, maybe maybe somebody actually, you know, studied the Declaration of Independence in high school. Frankly speaking, I doubt it, but it's possible. I mean, of course, it's, it's mentioned uh, in school, but it's not really discussed at any length by anybody anywhere in the country at any time, for the most part. So that's why this podcast is so very important. This podcast is a, is an educational experience, and I think it's a particularly good educational experience, and many will benefit from it. There's 320 million people in this country. Every single one of them needs to know this material. Otherwise, they're walking about the country blissfully ignorant to its origins and have absolutely no clue where this country came from, where it's going, or where it's supposed to be. Well, good news—we're going to fix that for us here on this podcast. So, share this podcast with anybody anybody you know who might benefit from the knowledge that that is contained herein. Uh, whether it be a high school student who needs to augment the education that they're getting in the public school system—they're just not covering this material. But as an um, as a citizen of the United States, they should know this material to be able to function in society uh, intelligently. Of course, you can function in society blissfully ignorant, but I don't know that that's particularly productive. Or whether it's just a friend or a family member who you think might benefit from this podcast and the uh, information here as far as the founding of the country. Maybe they have a particular interest in history, or maybe they just have an interest of learning where we come from. So just keep that in mind, and I certainly do appreciate you sharing the podcast uh, again so that everybody may benefit from this material That we're producing here. And I wanted to also remind everybody as to the schedule of the podcast. The schedule, as I've mentioned briefly before, is going to be a two episode a week podcast at this point. uh, I drop these podcasts technically on Sunday and Wednesday, but that's largely so that they're available on Monday and Thursday. Uh, When they actually become available on the particular podcast platform you're downloading this from depends upon that platform and how quickly it picks up the podcast. Posting. I know that Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio tend to be the fastest, or you know, they they tend to pick up the podcast a lot faster than certain other platforms. So if you want it very quickly, those are some good choices, and I find that they're usually available on there fairly promptly. Now, if two podcasts a week isn't enough commentary uh, that you'd like to have on this kind of material, I do have the other podcast available over on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcasts with Roman. Now, you do have to be a subscriber over there to get that podcast. It's a -a once-a-week podcast, but I think it's worth it. We are producing some very good content over there as well. So, with that said, let's get back into our discussion on the Intolerable Acts of 1774. Let's do that right now. Here we are. We're going to finish our review of the Intolerable Acts of 1774. So put your seatbelt on. This is going to be a fun ride. As you may recall from the prior episode, we left off with the Massachusetts Government Act of 1774. Prior to that, we had covered the Boston Port Act. And now we are going to continue on and we're going to cover the Administration of Justice Act. And also, something coming up later in the broadcast, we will be joined again by John Adams. We are going to be going live to John Adams from 1779, so he'll be cutting into the podcast and we're going to be hearing from him. Always a good thing. He's going to be giving us some context around one particular issue that's going to show up in one of these intolerable acts that I find quite interesting, so get ready for that. So let's start with the Administration of Justice Act here, and I quote, "...an act..." For the impartial administration of justice in the cases of persons questioned for any acts done by them in the execution of law or for the suppression of riots and tumults in the province of Massachusetts Bay, New England. End quote. This is another propaganda statement, if you will. Because at the beginning of this thing, it says, and I quote, an act for the impartial administration of justice, end quote. I think the Founding Fathers would certainly disagree with that. I don't think they would consider this to be an impartial administration of justice. I think they would regard it as quite the opposite, and frankly speaking, so would I. In the prior episode, you will recall that we talked about the king suppressing the representation of the people in the Boston colony and replacing councils elected locally with his own people. That is to say, the king's own people. That's anything but impartial. Quite clearly, the king was trying to set up a situation where the system was oriented solely towards executing his will and his will only. Tell me how that is impartial. Answer, it's not. And this term impartial is a very interesting term, often manipulated and misused, kind of, kind of in a similar fashion the way the, the word consensus is often misused or manipulated. It's used to imply some element of honesty or justice. Non-partisan, I guess, would be another way. So if something can't be partisan, if it's impartial, now can it? But of course it can. Usually what will happen is one partisan side will declare themselves to be impartial, and then of course everybody who agrees with that particular partisan side will agree, yes of course it's impartial, and then they will carry about themselves an air of justice, like they are righteous. There's a sense of righteousness that goes along with being impartial, right? However, what about the other side that disagrees with them, who doesn't believe that they're impartial? Or perhaps that they are impartial in some respects, but not in others. It's easy to think that somebody is impartial, nonpartisan, if you agree with them. This is why partisan political ideologies are so incredibly dangerous. And why the introduction to this program, every single time this podcast has a new episode, it begins with the same introduction. And part of that introduction is an anti-partisan political ideology statement. There's reasons for that. Partisan political ideologies often wrap themselves up in a veil of impartiality or consensus. And they use that to bludgeon people over the head into submission. And that's exactly what the king is doing here. Quote, "...an act for the impartial administration of justice." end quote. This is the king trying to bludgeon the colonists over the head into submission with his quote-unquote impartial system that he's creating here, which is anything but impartial. So be watchful of this. This is another one of those warnings from history. This is, this is like uh, the alarm bells should be going off whenever you hear that word impartial, nonpartisan it doesn't necessarily mean that it is impartial it doesn't mis- or that it's not impartial i should say it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not partisan but it's important to pay close attention to it and make sure that you're not being lied to not being manipulated these partisan forces will often manipulate you and if you think you're not being manipulated by some Im- by some partisan force you're probably either naive or delusional or partisan like, I'm sure loyalists within the colonies probably believed the king's system here to be impartial, exactly like it's declared, an act for the impartial administration of justice. They probably thought to themselves, oh, of course it's impartial. The king, knows the king is setting up an impartial system. However, the more liberty-minded people in the colonies certainly disagreed with that. They didn't think it was impartial. Otherwise, they wouldn't have labeled this one of the intolerable acts, now would they? So be cautious about things like this. But again, a warning from history. Be aware of this. Don't let, don't let this sneak past you. Continuing on, Quote, Whereas His Majesty's Province of Massachusetts Bay in New England, an attempt hath lately been made to throw off the authority of the Parliament of Great Britain over the said province, and an actual and avowed resistance by open force to the execution of certain acts of Parliament hath been suffered to take place uncontrolled and unpunished. End quote. This could be more references to the Boston Tea Party. Quote, An actual and avowed resistance by open force, end quote. Now that really paints the picture of people running about the city of Boston, murdering, looting, and killing, and burning, and pillaging, all the rest of it. Basically burning the city of Boston to the ground. That's that's the image. I mean, open force, what does that mean? Well, really what it was was a couple of things. It was people throwing tea into a harbor, destruction of private property, which probably wasn't a good idea. And also the harassment, or in some cases abuse, of the king's men, his officers. Probably also not a good idea. It's one thing to rebuke the king's men. It's one thing to chastise the king's men. But to abuse them is a whole other matter altogether. But that's but the king, in this statement, or the parliament by this statement, blows things way out of proportion. Resistance by open force really does make it sound like there's a, a very serious armed insurrection going on here, which at this point in time there was not. There really was not. Continuing on, quote, And whereas in the present disordered state of the said province it is of the utmost importance to the reestablishment of lawful authority throughout the same that neither the magistrates acting in support of the laws nor any of his majesty's subjects aiding and assisting them therein or in the suppression of riots and tumults should be discouraged from the proper discharge of their duty by an apprehension that in the case of their being questioned for acts done therein, end quote. And I'll read this one section again, quote, should be discouraged from the proper discharge of their duty, end quote. So basically what the king is writing here, or the parliament, and uh, as well as the king, is trying to communicate here is that the king's officers should not be discouraged from the proper discharge of their duty. Now, honestly, a reasonable person may agree with this one portion of the statement. But the next part of this is where it goes off the rails into tyranny. And what became particularly problematic for the Founding Fathers, continuing on, quote, "...they may be liable to be brought to trial for the same before persons who do not acknowledge the validity of the laws, in the execution thereof, of whom such acts have been done, in order, therefore, to remove every such discouragement from the minds of His Majesty's subjects, and to induce them, upon all proper occasions, to exert themselves in support of the public peace of the province, and of the authority of the King and Parliament of Great Britain over the same, be it enacted." that if any inquisition or indictment shall be found, or if any appeal shall be sued or preferred, as aforesaid, either in the execution of his duty as a magistrate, for the suppression of riots, or the support of the laws of revenue, or acting in his duty as an officer of revenue, or in acting under the direction and order any magistrate, for the suppression of rights, or the carrying into effect the laws of revenue, or in aiding and assisting in any of the cases aforesaid, And if it shall also appear to the satisfaction of said governor that an indifferent trial cannot be within the said province, in that case, it is and may be lawful for the governor to direct, with the advice and consent of counsel, that the inquisition, indictment, or appeal shall be tried in some other of His Majesty's colonies or in Great Britain, end quote. Wow, that's a lengthy statement. It took a long time to get there, but they finally said it. So they don't expect a fair trial locally. I'll, I'll summarize this for you because, again, this is written in very formal parliamentary 1700s speak, which is, honestly, it, it, I'm sure it's it's difficult to listen to this stuff at, at times, and it's it's equally difficult for me to read it at times. It makes my uh, eyes want to bleed just trying to read it, just because of the formal nature in which it's written. They, could, they could, probably could have gotten to the point a whole lot quicker than they did. So they don't expect a fair trial locally. So say some of His Majesty's people are accused of some particular crime against the people of Boston or some other locality for that matter. The local people who do not support, well, who may be suspected of not supporting the laws of the king, like this section in the beginning says, quote, persons who do not acknowledge the validity of the laws, end quote. There may be local people who don't agree with the laws set forth by Parliament, so they cannot be expected to administer justice, sufficiently according to the law so what he's saying here is that these people may be removed from that setting and tried elsewhere where they may get a quote unquote fair trial obviously there, there's a potential problem here where there could be abuses by some of the some of the king's men serious abuses who knows what it could be another you know, Boston Massacre type situation. In this case, maybe it's a situation where the troops legitimately do open fire on a crowd of people, unprovoked, perhaps. And the locals want to hold them to account, but the king, wanting to protect his soldiers, removes them from that particular scenario and sends them perhaps back to Great Britain or maybe to another colony where they'll get a more favorable trial. In other words, to a venue where the people don't care about the people of Boston. So you remove these people to Great Britain to be tried. Do they, do they have a particular care for the people of Boston answer? No, they don't care. And this actually gets to something quite interesting. This kind of foreign judiciary... This this concept of bringing in foreigners or extracting people to a foreign location to get, quote-unquote, justice. This is not the first time this kind of thing has happened before, although in, in times past, that is to say times before the 1700s, it wasn't uncommon for kings to bring foreigners into a country to enforce laws that were unpopular amongst the people. You see, a king could not count on the fact that the locals would oppress their own neighbors, would oppress their own citizens. Well, subjects in this case, not citizens. People's neighbors often do not want to oppress them or take away people's rights, so what a king would do was bring in foreigners to do that job, to basically oppress the local people, because the foreigners have absolutely no connection to that community. They have no connection to the kingdom. All they know is that they're getting paid by the king to come into the country— to come into the kingdom and oppress the local people, people that they don't care about, they have no connection to, and they'll they'll freely oppress as long as they're getting paid to do it. This is kind of a reverse of that situation where you're pulling people out of the colonies and sending them to some foreign location to get quote-unquote justice. Uh, It's kind of like a a reversal of that old practice of bringing foreigners into a country to oppress the local people. Both of these situations, by the way, are something that you need to be very mindful of. If you think—I mean, these things happen again and again throughout history. Like like I said before when we were talking about the Declaration of Independence— Those issues that were talked about in the Declaration of Independence, and by the way, the genesis of many of those issues was these intolerable acts right here. They go back, they they, they were the same problems that were happening 500 years before the Declaration of Independence, and they will still be happening somewhere in the world, maybe not the United States, maybe in the United States, 500 years after the Declaration of Independence was written. These things never go away. They never end. There is this tendency in society to think that we are progressing beyond the lessons of history, and that we are in a new era, and the old lessons from history no longer apply. So these old dusty books have absolutely nothing to teach us, which is why almost nobody reads these books, almost nobody studies this history anymore, and it's just being widely forgotten. Now, what what have we learned from history as before? The wise man once said, those who do not understand history are doomed to repeat it. Pay attention, people. Again, another warning from history. Alarm bells should be going off. And as you read through these intolerable acts, you should be thinking, okay, now I know I need to watch for this. It may not be happening today, but it might be happening tomorrow. Or maybe it happened yesterday and I didn't realize it. Pay attention. The Founding Fathers wrote down that Declaration of Independence for a reason. They were talking about this kind of thing. They were talking about all of these intolerable acts and, and other things. These problems did not disappear when the Declaration of Independence was written. Again, this isn't the boogeyman. These problems don't go away just because you wrote them down and you declared them and brought them out into the daylight. As a wise man once said, the wolf will not pass by the door. These things are going to keep coming back. That's why we have to learn about them. Otherwise, you will not know these things when they come around. You won't even know what to look for. That's why this podcast is trying to help you do that. So again, this concept of removing people to a foreign venue very much the reverse of the ancient process of bringing a foreign venue into the country to oppress the people, they're, except they're doing it in reverse, right? Keep that in mind. These things are very problematic, very problematic indeed, and you need to pay attention to them. If you think you don't need to pay attention to this, then you're, uh, you're frankly wrong. So that's the gist. There, there's a little bit more text to it. To the uh, this particular Administration of Justice Act, but we're not going to read that. We're going to continue on. That's the gist of it. You get the idea. So we're going to proceed forward, and we're going to talk about the Quebec the Quebec Act. Now, the Quebec Act. This is very fascinating. Keep in mind again, Canada is largely a province of Great Britain. Now, Quebec that's French Canada, administered by the British at this particular point in time. And we're going to talk about some issues that the the founders had with Canada, and namely Quebec. And this problem is going to come up again later. This is a little foreshadowing of things to come. In other words, things that we're going to talk about later. This is not the end of this discussion. This will continue. So just know that. If you want to know more about this, just stay tuned to the podcast. This podcast is going to inform you about all these wonderful things. And, and you know, that's the value of, of podcasting generally, and especially this podcast. Think about the value that this this podcast provides to you. And you may think that these these concepts are important. You may think that, ah, it's just, it's just history. It doesn't really matter again. We're progressing to an era beyond history where history has nothing to teach us. Of course, if that's your mindset, I feel sorry for you. And you probably should not be listening to this podcast if you continue to feel that way, despite my attempts to try to encourage you to, to pay attention to what we're learning here. Although I hope you do, because I hope we can change your mind. I hope you, um, I hope you realize that these issues are important. History does have something to teach us. As I always say, you know, history has the answer to every question you want to ask. You just have to know where to look. doesn't matter what the question is. History has the answer. All you got to do is just tear open the pages and go looking for it. I mean, the problems that the United States has today, you think history doesn't have the answer to those questions? You're wrong. History does have the answer to every single one of those questions. There's no problem that the United States faces today that history does not have the answer for. The problem is, is getting people to actually look into the pages of history and find the answer. Again, that's why this podcast is here. You're welcome. Continuing on, and thank you for listening, by the way, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, and uh, especially those of you who will participate in the podcast. Again, this is not, this, I don't intend this podcast to be a lecture series. This podcast is going to be an interaction, hopefully, at some point when the listenership goes up, and we're going to be talking about this kind of stuff amongst each other. This is a podcast done by the common man for the common man, and we're just friends having a conversation here. So we're going to talk about the Quebec Act next, and here we go. Quote, that it may be enacted, boundaries defined, boundaries of proclamation of 1763, extended to include territory west of the Mississippi, north to the frontiers of the Hudson Bay Territory, and the islands in the mouth of the St. Lawrence. Okay, so what are we talking about here? Basically, what's transpiring here is the king is extending the boundaries of Quebec. And obviously on the podcast, I cannot show you a map of what this looks like, but if you can imagine, if you know where Quebec is, it's in the far north eastern end of Canada, roughly, that area up there where French Canada is, it extends that province of Canada down beyond south of the Great Lakes and into the area of Ohio and Illinois, or Ohio and Indiana, rather. And I think it might also have encompassed some parts of Illinois, but certainly Ohio, Indiana, that that general area over there, that's pretty far south. So if you, if you get the opportunity to look at a map of this, there's actually some maps out there that show the boundaries of, of where these things extend to. I mean, imagine Quebec extending down south of the Great Lakes. And Ohio, Ohio territory at the time was was like frontier territory, essentially, for, for, the, uh, for the colonies. This is just, uh, you know, right there on the other side of Pennsylvania and Virginia. So readily accessible by the colonists. I mean, it's just right there across from where these uh, these colonies are. And now Quebec is right there on the border to the west. Interesting. So why is this a problem? Well, we're going to talk about that here in a second. Continuing on, quote, It is hereby declared that His Majesty's subjects professing the religion of the Church of Rome of and in the said province of Quebec may have, hold, and enjoy the free exercise of the religion of the Church of Rome subject to the king's supremacy declared and established by an act made in the first year of the reign of Queen Elizabeth over all the dominions and countries which then did or therefore thereafter should belong to the imperial crown of this realm and that the clergy of the said church may hold receive and enjoy their accustomed dues and rights with respect to such persons only as shall profess the said religion quote. interesting so the principal issue discussed here is the religion of the church of rome being supported in essence now by the king of england which is interesting because the these kings were typically very very strongly in support of strictly the uh, church of england this, this all gets back to why people came over to america in the first place now down south there's really there's really always been two americas and and no i'm not talking about south america i'm ta- and and i know that folks in south america if you're listening to this podcast uh, sometimes folks in south america get upset at us up in the north for calling ourselves Americans, because they think that we're excluding South America. Uh, They consider themselves to be Americans, too, because they live in South America. Everybody knows what we mean when we say Americans and America. You know, there's two different definitions of America. There's geography and then there's idea. America is an idea. And that's what the Founding Fathers are talking about. And to the extent of this podcast, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about geography here. Except, of course, when we're talking about the boundaries of Quebec and so on and so forth. But when, in terms of America, we're not talking about geography. So there have always been two Americas. There's the one that in the South that really was there for... They, they came there for monetary reasons. Money, in part, amongst other things. Now up in the North, when you think about the Mayflower, you think about the, the Protestants, the Separatists, the Pilgrims. All these people up in the North. And there's, there's varying groups of people who showed up over the years, but a lot of people looking for religious freedom, trying to get away from the Church of England. And if you ever ever wonder why the north of the United States and the south of the United States developed very differently, and obviously this come, the, those chickens come home to roost later on in the 1800s, but if you want to know why the north and the south developed very differently, there was for a lot of reasons, but in part it was because of the two different kinds of people who came to the United States and the different reasons why they came here. There's always been two countries inside of the United States. Always has been. And probably still is. But I'm not going to get into that. This concept of religion really played a big role in the ideology, the, the... Beliefs of the Founding Fathers and their actions and what they did, they, they took particular issue with the Church of Rome moving in next door. Okay, so we have now a situation where Quebec has been extended down into Ohio, and the Church of Rome has effectively been now extended, their dominion extended, into Ohio. Now, why is this a problem? You might think to yourself, well, you know, the uh, Catholics are basically a Christian-minded people. The Founding Fathers, Protestant, of course, but Christian-minded people, they they can get along right because Catholics and Protestants get along fine in the United States today. This is a very different time. People remember the Inquisition. The Inquisition wasn't that far behind the Founding Fathers, and frankly speaking, one could argue it was actually still going on. And actually continued for a little while after this in in various forms. It wasn't necessarily the the Inquisition where, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, certain levels of uh, genocide were going on, uh, murders and so on and so forth. I mean, it it was, but it it wasn't as bad as it maybe it once was. But the the Founding Fathers remembered this because these people were students of history. Uh Uh-oh. There's a lesson right there. What have we been talking about? People who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. There were founding fathers that were, they, they again, based on my readings of the founding fathers, they were scared to death of the Church of Rome moving into the colonies. Think about that. They didn't want the Church of Rome moving in. They didn't want the Catholics infiltrating the colonies in mass. And it would do you well to try to figure out why. If you do not understand why the founding fathers distrusted the Church of Rome, and had great problems with the Church of Rome and their dominion being extended into Ohio by by way of this boundary of Quebec, you probably should figure out why. I'm going to help you with that. And it's about this time that we're going to bring Sam Adams onto the program, and, or excuse me, John Adams onto the program. We're going to talk about Sam Adams, though, after I read this letter to portion of this letter to you. John Adams is going to tell us a little bit of something about the way they felt back in the day, and you're going to be enlightened by this. This is a letter written from John Adams in Massachusetts at the time, the 4th of August, 1779, written to the President of Congress. So, again, 1779, this is during the war. 1776 is when we declared independence. The war has been going on for a few years at this point. And this this is an excerpt of that letter. Quote, The Court of Rome, attached to ancient customs, would be one of the last to acknowledge our independence, if we were to solicit for it. But Congress will probably never send a minister to His Holiness who can do them no service upon condition of receiving a Catholic legate or nuncio in return. Or, in other words, an ecclesiastical tyrant, which is to be hoped the United States will be too wise ever to admit into their territories. End quote. Well, we stumbled into something here, didn't we? This is... It's a window into the mind of the Founding Fathers as it pertained to the uh, Catholic Church. And again, I, I am I am very well aware that Catholics may be listening to this, this podcast, and it, it, you may be somewhat resistant to try to figure out why it is exactly the Founding Fathers, some of them anyway, were very, very worried about this Church of Rome being extended in Quebec down to Ohio and so on and so forth. You may be very resistant to find out why, because this Is your religion. But, you know, it it doesn't do anybody any service to ignore a problem just because it doesn't comport with your current affiliation. So what's the situation here, really? There's this one quote here. I'll say it again. Quote, the court of Rome attached to ancient customs would be one of the last to acknowledge our independence. End quote. Why is that? Why would they be one of the last to acknowledge the independence of the United States? probably has something to do with this last line in, the, in this excerpt. Quote, In other words, an ecclesiastical tyrant, which is to be hoped the United States will be too wise ever to admit into their territories. End quote. An ecclesiastical tyrant. Tyrants, by their nature, do not support independence or freedom, do they not? That's their problem with King George, as he's a tyrant. They declare him a tyrant. I believe they, uh, what were the exact words? I'm paraphrasing slightly. Every act that shall define a tyrant, in reference to King George. They seem to John Adams anyway seems to regard the court of Rome, as he refers to it here, very much in the same light. And then there's this quote: "But Congress will probably never send a minister to His Holiness." End quote. Well, John Adams was I don't know I don't know exactly when the first ambassador to the Vatican was sent over. Um, I haven't looked into that, but we do have an ambassador to the Vatican today. Is that a mistake? It's one of those inconvenient questions we don't ask ourselves, uh, and I'm not saying that it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm sim- I'm simply poking or I'm poking the bear, so to speak. That's what that's part of my job on this podcast is to poke the bear. These are uncomfortable questions. It's an uncomfortable issue because it pertains to people's religion and faith, Catholicism in this case. So the court of Rome will be the last to acknowledge our independence. An ecclesiastical tyrant. Congress will probably never send a ministry to his holiness. These are all lines from out of this letter. And all of it really speaks to John Adams believes the court of Rome to be a problem. And I would ask you, has that changed in 200 years since John Adams wrote this? Should you look into that? Should you be asking yourself this question? John Adams is warning you about something. I want want you to take this seriously. John Adams is telling you something in this letter. This isn't John Adams r- rambling incoherently like some kind of fringe lunatic, which John Adams was not. John Adams was probably the most articulate in r- in the written word, the most articulate, brilliant of the Founding Fathers. There are few people who really understand, in my opinion, based on everything that I've read. And keep in mind, I have read a lot of what the Founding Fathers have written. I, I-, I scarcely can find anybody who can quite so coherently and succinctly articulate the politics and the the culture of the civilizations all the way from ancient Rome all the way up to his present day. There are few people, I think, in the history of the world who could do it as well as he did. That's saying something. So, So when John Adams is warning you about something, when he's telling you something, and he's talking to you, whoever's listening to this podcast in the 21st century, whether it be 2021 or 2022 or 2025— John Adams is talking to you, and he's telling you something in this letter. Don't ignore it. Don't just tune out this podcast when it's done and say, oh, well, nothing to see here. There's something going on here, and I'm not saying you need to go read a book on the subject. What I'm saying is you need to keep it in the back of your mind. And the next time something happens in regards to the Court of Rome, as John Adams called it, and you could still continue to call that that today, the next time something happens in in the Court of Rome as it pertains to the United States— pay a ten shun I don't want to beat this issue to death exactly but I mean this is this is serious John Adams believed this to be serious he wrote about it for a reason Take it seriously. Now, I also have read a lot of a lot from Samuel Adams, and I and I don't have any letters here for you today, so I'm just going to give you my opinion based on what I've read out of Samuel Adams. A full disclosure: this is my opinion. Uh, I made a commitment to always do that on episode number one of this podcast, to the extent possible. But anyway, my opinion is that Samuel Adams, by the way, who was John Adams' cousin, also had a serious problem with the Catholic Church. Serious problem. He didn't like it, and he had he was he was hugely nervous about the Catholic Church infiltrating the colonies. Keep in mind that. Samuel Adams lived in Boston. Now, why is that? Why did Samuel Adams have a problem with it? It's not because he was a bigot. It's not because he was a, a hateful person, because he certainly was not, at least as best as I can tell. And John Adams definitely was not a hateful person at all. He, he's probably one of the most um, enlightened and gentle characters uh, in, in the American Revolution. I mean, he was a, I mean, he was a stalwart. He was a fighter, but a very judicious one. What was going on with Samuel Adams and John Adams? And they weren't the only ones, by the way, who had a problem with this. If if Samuel Adams and John Adams were the only ones who had a problem with the Quebec Act, the religion of the Church of Rome, you know, being moved down, it it would seem anyway being extended down into the Ohio Territory. Nobody would have thought anything of this, but obviously this is quite striking to the people at the time. Keep in mind, there's reasons for this. This is not a nothing issue. But we will be talking more about this later. So again, if you want to know more about this issue, stay tuned to the podcast. You're going to learn things. I mean, for the listeners of this podcast, you folks are going to know things that 99% of this country does not know. Think about that. By listening to this podcast, you're going to know things that 99% of this co- people in this country will never, ever know. You're going to be greatly informed by this. Now... It would be my wish, certainly, that the entire country listen to this podcast so that that 99% would be lumped in with the rest of us and know a lot more than, than they do currently. But uh, unfortunately, that's probably never going to happen, so we'll just have to live with that. It's going to be—it's up to us, uh, the uh, listeners of this podcast, yourself and, and myself, the, the actual maker of this podcast, to, to be informed. Good news, I do this work for you. Uh, I do this work for you so you do not have to. And again, I'm reading straight from their words so you know I'm not making this stuff up, which is more than I can say for a lot of other people doing history podcasts— are talking about history in, in, in an educational context, allegedly "quote unquote" educational. So we're going to move on from the Quebec Act. We've, we've really we've really torn that down. And why did I spend so much time railing on the Quebec Act and, and talking about this issue of the religion of the Church of Rome? The reason why I spent so much time talking about the Church of Rome and bringing John Adams onto the podcast to talk to us about this is because there's there I I know that there's going to be a tendency in regard to this Quebec Act to just gloss over it and ignore it and move on and not pay any attention to it in regards to this religion of the Church of Rome, the Court of Rome, as John Adams called it, etc. You're going to be very tempted to just ignore it and just move on, because it's a big nothing issue now, right? Because there's plenty of Catholics in the United States, everything's fine, or is it? And you're not going to think much of it, but in reality, you should be paying attention to it. This is not anything to be ignored. So now we're going to talk about the Quartering Act. This is the last of the Intolerable Acts, by the way, that we're going to talk about. Now, what's the Quartering Act? This one's going to sound familiar to you folks. Now, I'll give you a few seconds here to guess as to which, where in the Constitution we actually talk about the Quartering Act. It's actually addressed very clearly in the Constitution. Can you guess where in the Constitution that the Quartering Act is talked about? If you guessed the Third Amendment to the United States, you are absolutely correct. And we're going to read the Third Amendment to the United States here in a second, but first we're going to get into this Quartering Act, and I quote... Whether troops can be quartered otherwise than in barracks, in case barracks have been provided sufficient for the quartering of all the officers and soldiers within any town, township, city, district, or place within his majesty's dominions in North America, and where it may frequently happen from the situation of such barracks that, if troops should be quartered therein, they would not be stationed where their presence may be necessary and required, be it therefore enacted by the king's most excellent majesty, by and with the advice and consent of the lords and commons in this present parliament assembled, that in such cases it shall and may be lawful for the persons who are now who now are or may be hereafter authorized by law in any of the provinces within his majesty's dominions in North America and they are hereby respectively authorized empowered and directed on the requisition of the officer who, for the time being, has the command of His Majesty's forces in North America to cause any officers or soldiers in His Majesty's service to be quartered and billeted in such a manner as is now directed by law, where no barracks are provided by the colonies. End quote. Clearly we're talking about the quartering of soldiers amongst the citizenry. Now, oftentimes in in larger places like, like Boston, for example, there may be barracks where these troops are stationed. But they're talking about situations where the troops may be needed in remote areas, but there's no barracks available. So let's continue. Quote, And be it further enacted by the authority of aforesaid that if it shall happen at any time that any officer or soldiers in his majesty's service shall remain without within any of the said colonies without quarters for the space of twenty-four hours after such quarters shall have been demanded, it shall and may be lawful for the governor of the province to order and direct such and so many uninhabited houses, outhouses, barns, or other buildings as he shall think necessary to be taken, making a reasonable allowance for the same, and make fit for the reception of such officers and soldiers, and to put and quarter such officers and soldiers therein for such a time as he shall think proper. End quote. So he's talking about, and it's interesting, it does talk about the quarter, it's, it seems limited to the quartering of it, uninhabited structures. Quote, such and so many uninhabited houses, outhouses, barns, or other buildings as he shall think necessary to be taken. End quote. So they're not talking about kicking people out of their house and quartering soldiers therein. They're talking about uninhabited houses, uninhabited structures, to quarter the soldiers. It's not quite so oppressive as as some people may have had an image in their mind. Oftentimes, this has been portrayed as kicking people out of their houses and quartering troops inside the houses, but that's not what this is talking about. I am uncertain if that ever actually happened. It may have Especially during the war, I'm sure it did happen. I'm speculating somewhat, but you can imagine, given the various abuses um, that the British Army committed, and they were several, I mean, the British Army was brutal, vicious, and evil during the Revolutionary War. And I do not use those terms lightly. And some of you in Great Britain, I mean, there may be people in Great Britain listening to this podcast, I hope you're aware of that, and I'm not trying to, you know say that you're terrible people or anything of the sort. This You're not responsible for it. This happened 250 years ago or whatever. I mean, nobody in Britain today is responsible for this. But, I mean, it's a history I don't know that they teach in Great Britain. Hopefully they do. That uh, that the British troops were actually some of the most vicious and evil people on the face of, of the earth during this particular period of time. And they did unimaginably horrible things. Uh, there were prison ships used during this war, and the the, the conditions in those prison ships were unimaginably horrid. Uh, I mean, it it defies belief, actually, the fact that any human being would actually allow something like that to happen to another human being, whether an enemy combatant or not. It's some of the worst. I mean, you think about some of the worst treatment of prisoners of war during, say, World War II. I mean, it's it's the equal of that or worse, uh, is basically what I'm saying. Um, if you've ever heard descriptions of what those prison ships were like, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's enough to, it's enough to make your, your blood boil just thinking about it. And frankly, for that reason alone, I'm actually quite surprised that the Founding Fathers managed to reestablish relations with, with Great Britain as quickly as they did after having suffered so greatly at the hands of the uh, degenerate and evil soldiers who uh, prosecuted that war. And certainly not all of them were guilty of that, but a great many were. But let's read the Third Amendment to the United States as it pertains to the quartering of these troops, uh, or troops generally. The Third Amendment to the United States addressing quite clearly this exact intolerable act. And I quote, No soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. End quote. So it's talking about requiring the consent of the owner. You can't just quarter yourself in a house, and there's no reference in here to unoccupied or occupied structures. It just simply says you can't be quartered in their house. Could be an unoccupied house. You still have to get the owner's permission. And this is basically trying to prevent the kind of oppression that the Founding Fathers saw in the Intolerable Act. So this Quartering Act, I mean, it was in 1774, but by the time of the Constitution, the Founding Fathers still had this fresh on their mind. And honestly, I mean, this is in the Bill of Rights, which came after, after the Constitution. Uh, I have a copy of the, uh... I believe it was the original draft of the Bill of Rights. It was actually signed in part by, uh vice president of the United States at the time, John Adams. I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it was. And as I recall, there were 12 amendments proposed and only 10 ratified. I'd have to double check that again, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. So again, this is something that affects us today. Our Constitution of the United States, still 200 plus years later, addresses this very issue from 1774. Now, why don't we just remove the, the Third Amendment to the United States. Why don't we just get rid of it? Pull it out of there. We don't need it anymore. We're beyond history at this point. We, ha- we have moved beyond the lessons of history. We don't need a Third Amendment to the United States anymore. As a matter of fact, we don't really need the Bill of Rights anymore at all, right? Because we've moved beyond all these problems. We don't have any of these problems like we had with the King of England. We're, we're, we have progressed beyond history. And history has nothing to teach us, right? Well, of course, that's insane, and the Third Amendment should remain exactly where it is. Because you think this can't happen again? You think we can't end up in a situation where soldiers are quartered amongst the citizenry? And they are able to commandeer people's houses without consent? You think that cannot happen today? You're wrong. Do you think it's the case that, like like in the time of... Uh, in the time of the founding right before it, 1774 75 etc you think british regular tr- or excuse me regular troops just like the british regular troops at the time you think reg- regular troops cannot be marched out into the cities of the united states to occupy them just as just as what happened during the founding of the country you think that can't happen now of course it can Remember what we we spoke about when it came to a standing army, and we are going to talk more about standing armies in podcasts to come, but remember what I said about standing armies. Always keep your eye on them. The Founding Fathers did not trust them, for the most part. Some of them did, some of them didn't. A lot of them didn't, uh, based on my readings, my interpretation of what I read, and I am going to bring some evidence onto the program to to demonstrate this quite succinctly. There there was a lot of talk about this, and they were very worried, many of the Founding Fathers, about this very issue. So you should be as well everything that the founding fathers were worried about this is what i'm trying to convey to you everything that the founding fathers were worried about you should be worried about too problem is in this country today is people are not worried about it they're not now i'm not a- i'm not saying you should be so worried about it you just you know you're you're paranoid about it you you work yourself up into a nervous wreck i'm just saying be vigilant and pay attention that's all And the Founding Fathers would ask you to do the same. I'm certain they would, otherwise they wouldn't have done what they did. They wouldn't have written it down for us. They wouldn't have put the Third Amendment. You think they put these amendments in there because they thought it was a big nothing issue and you, 200 plus years later, didn't need to worry about it? No, they put it in there because 200 years later, you do need to worry about it. And if you're not, you're doing it wrong. Pay attention, folks. Pay attention. Not to me, but to the Founding Fathers. I am just a messenger. I'm a conduit through which the founding fathers are communicating to you. I bring their words directly to you. And frankly speaking, it's it's an honor and a privilege to to have that to have that role and to have the ability to do this. And it's an honor and a privilege to have you listening. i I, I am very grateful to the folks who will end up listening to this podcast and every every episode of of this this podcast generally, not just this podcast episode but future episodes. I'm very grateful. It's a it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do that, to be able that, that you would trust me with the responsibility to deliver this material to you. And I try to be as effective and responsible as possible. But again, I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna push the listeners of this podcast to listen to the Founding Fathers and to pay attention because we need to. And we're all guilty of not paying attention enough. We all are, including myself. Very guilty of that. But as we learn, as we grow as people, we get better with this over time. Because this stuff isn't really taught. I mean, nobody, I mean, at least in my case, and in the case of anybody I've ever known in my life for the most part, nobody ever pulled them aside in school and said, hey, pay attention to this stuff, it's important. You know, if you want to know the lessons of history, listen to, listen to the warnings that the Founding Fathers gave. I never heard that. Not from school, anyway. Other sources, yes, but school, no. So we, are, we have gone fairly long in this podcast and we're, we're getting at this point we're getting ready to breach the one hour mark which is something I, I don't ever want to do so I certainly appreciate your patience with me so what we're going to do is we are going to wrap up this podcast in the next section all right now we are at the end of this episode I want to thank you for going on this journey with me through the Intolerable Acts of 1774, this is very important stuff to learn. And now you probably know more about the Intolerable Acts of 1774 than, like I said, probably about 99% of the planet. And is that valuable information to have, or is it meaningless information to have? I would say that it's valuable. It's very, very valuable, especially if you live in the United States. But honestly, these principles are worldwide. Governments are governments, people are people. I said that a few episodes back. Governments all over the world are pretty much the same. And no, they cannot be trusted. There, I said it. And no, that's not partisan political to say that. It's the Founding Fathers basically saying that. I mean, if you haven't figured that out over our review of the Declaration of Independence, the Intolerable Acts, the the various other writings that we've covered so far from the Founding Fathers, then you certainly will figure it out by the time we're done with this podcast in its entirety. Every episode that we do will we'll, we'll tell you that. That doesn't mean that government is always bad, doesn't mean that it's always evil. It is what it is. You know, it's it's power hungry at times, tyrannical at times, dangerous always, or excuse me, potentially dangerous always. So keep an eye on it. Just keep an eye on it. <clears throat> now we talked again today about um, some people might think that you know, hey Roman, you're um, which is. Kind of maybe a, some irony there. Uh, you're 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 saying terrible things about the the Roman Catholic Church. Not not really. Um, I mean, the the things bad that I say about the Roman Catholic Church are all basically oriented in the past and very well established. You know, the Inquisition was not good. I think we can all say. I think the Roman Catholic Church would probably say the same thing, and they have. They've, they've admitted that there was abuses and, and so on and so forth with we, with the Inquisition and other things around that. but when I say when I when I say you know things like the Roman Catholic Church or the Court of Rome as John Adams called it, could be a problem in some instances. You want to keep an eye on it. It's just like government, you want to keep an eye on it. I ask a lot of questions about it and like for example, one of the things I talked about was this this concept that John Adams uh, didn't feel like there should be a ambassador. Or a minister, as they called it then. I'll uh, I'll quote it again. Quote, but Congress will probably never send a minister to His Holiness, end quote. And I mentioned that there's an ambassador to the Vatican today, and I asked the question, maybe there shouldn't be. I'm not saying there shouldn't be. I'm just asking the question. And that is what makes the difference between somebody who is not intellectually curious and somebody who's intellectually curious. You can't just, you can't just say, well, of course we should have an ambassador to the Vatican today. Well, no, maybe not. John Adams seemed to think that we probably shouldn't. At least that's the implication in this particular context here. Now, maybe he's changed his mind later. But it's not uncommon to question this. Back when John Kennedy was running for president, there were questions about him, because he was Catholic, whether or not he would be run from Rome, whether he would basically be some uh, vessel for the Roman Catholic Church to run the United States. That didn't end up being the case. And it's very important that you don't say that, you know, well, just because John Kennedy was Catholic, he's a terrible human being and he's gonna be a terrible president. You can't say stuff like that, because you don't know. But you can ask the question. Just ask the question. Just if John Kennedy were running for president, I would have I, I could easily ask the question, are you going to be run from Rome or are you going to be an independent America focused president? And I think he was an independent American focused president, to be brutally honest with you. I don't have many problems With John Kennedy. I really, really don't. But I have a few problems with him, but not many. So just ask the questions. I'm just asking questions here, and I'm thinking through this with the Founding Fathers, and I'm listening to what they what they tell me, and I think we all should just listen to what they told us. And some of what they told us is not going to be applicable today. Most of it is. Some of what they told us is not going to be good necessarily, and most of it is. You take the good with the bad, and yeah, you simply just ask the questions. That's what we're doing here, and we're exploring and learning along the way. So again... Thank you very much. Please share this podcast with whomever you determine would like this kind of discussion and whomever might benefit intellectually from uh, an education in this regard. And again, I appreciate your support on this podcast, either by sharing it, writing a review about it, interacting with the podcast, or if you choose supporting uh, the podcast on Patreon. And again, that's at patreon.com slash podcastswithroman. And if you want to join me over there on Patreon, there's going to be more discussion about topics of history and other things—not necessarily letters from our founding fathers, but other things. I, I try to branch out and do other things on that podcast, but they're of a similar nature, so I think you might enjoy it. So please join us on the next episode of this podcast. We're going to stay in this time period. We're going to stay in the time period of 1774 to 1775, roughly, and we're going to we're going to talk. We're going to start building up to the eventual war between the colonies and Great Britain. And we're going to be reading the letters and correspondence from the Founding Fathers in that regard. We're going to be reading a lot more letters uh, in the next uh, few episodes of this podcast. What I've been reading to you so far has been the writings of the British Parliament, namely the Intolerable Acts, the last few episodes, with uh, some sprinklings of some letters throughout, but we're going to be reading more letters as we go. With that, I want to thank you again for joining this podcast. Again, I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to be in, amongst others, uh, the voice, or not the voice so much, but the conduit for the Founding Fathers to communicate with the people of the world. Uh, it's, um, It's a great privilege to be able to do this. And for those of you who listen, I'm I'm honored to have you with us. I I truly am. It's It's a great thing that we do learning about these things because there's so much knowledge in all of this, in this particular series of events between 1774, 1787, and beyond. But we're going to talk a lot about that. So thank you again for joining this podcast, and I hope to see you again on the next episode of Letters from Our Fathers. And this is Roman signing out.